0: Hi guys, hello and welcome back to the Soulful Savvy Sister podcast. So this week we are on season one, episode two, and I hope you enjoy all that's to come. Earlier um, this year, I sat down with Tess Wicks and we discussed all things life, business, personal development, finances, etc. And what inspired me about Tess's story was her certainty within herself throughout her life. You'll see as she discusses her journey the decisions she's made to date and she's always been so sure that it was the right one for her. In her early 20s, Tess left her very secure job within actuarial science to follow her instinct and founded a very successful business known as Wander Wealthy. Personally, what I thoroughly enjoyed about this conversation was Tess's foresight to know what it is she's always wanted and just to pursue it irrespective of societal norms. I think sometimes we can be very influenced by the people around us as opposed to following our instincts and it's just very clear that that wasn't the case for Tess. She all she always followed what it is was true to her and what it is she wanted. So, she succeeded in building a life entirely tailored to her and she's currently living in Switzerland at the minute. She's left, she had left, she had been born in America but left America to go to Switzerland and hopes to retire in Italy very soon. So, on that note, let's get started. I hope you enjoy all that's to come.
1: So how are you? I'm doing well. Good. Um, i might just
0: give you a brief little introduction, if that's OK. I yeah. welcome you to the podcast. Yes. Yeah. Firstly, thanks so much for agreeing to be on the podcast. It's brilliant to have new people, new insights. And I'm always looking for people like, that kind of fit to what I want to teach people and the things I want to convey. So I just mm-hmm. yeah, I first I suppose I came across your business actually online when I was on kind of my own financial journey, because I had actually done finance in college, but Mm -hmm. I'd never really been taught how to apply it practically. So I was doing Mm -hmm. a lot online then and seeing like how the information actually applies to real life and when it comes to investing and everything else. Mm -hmm. And that's when I came across you then and the Wander Wealthy business that you've set up. Mm -hmm. And I was, yeah, I was really interested by your story really, how you'd left actuarial science and gone and just set up your own business and really went out there into the unknown. How did you come about that? And how did you come about setting up your own business and deciding to
1: leave? I mean, deciding to leave was probably the hardest decision I've ever had to make, but also set me in the right direction. And I didn't really decide to leave because I knew I was going to build this business. I had no idea what I was going to do, but I just knew I was... I had followed this actuarial path since I was 18 years old when I chose the major in college and had no idea what it was. And for those of that are listening that might not know, it's kind of like the combination of statistics, um, mathematics and finance and being able to place a value on the probability of usually something bad happening, like someone dying or a car crash. Um, so yeah that's kind of what i learned throughout my process and i committed a lot of time to it and then i got into the world of being an actuary and i was kind of like don't think this is actually a good fit for my personality and for even like the corporate environment for me it just didn't wasn't a really good fit for what i wanted for my life so i had lived with a, a roommate at the time who was an independent consultant and kind of was able to make her own schedule and make her own money um you know, in the sense of she was in charge of what she made on a weekly, monthly and yearly basis. And I understood that risk, but I also really craved that a little bit more of that flexibility and that freedom.
0: Yeah, I can imagine because like obviously the path you were on had such certainty around it.
1: Mm -hmm. And then
0: I think that's the crossroad a lot of people are at that. And that is why they choose like maybe courses that aren't that suited to them or they end up going down paths that eventually they're like, what am I doing here? Because that's it. They choose because of the certainty as opposed to like following their personality and what it is they actually enjoy. And then some people don't know how. I can imagine even the self-awareness you needed in yourself to recognize this isn't for me. Like that was huge. A lot of people don't come to that Until they're much, much older, like you'd often hear stories of people with like kids and at like forty and just thinking this isn't for me, you know. And it's very hard then turning around. Like you were so lucky in that you were so young when you came to your realization.
1: Yeah, and you know I had a lot of support around me, and even just my roommate who was able to kind of point out like, "There's something going on here. Like you don't seem that happy," Um, and and that helped me be able to kind of reflect on where i was in my career and make the decision to leave and i had a lot of privilege as well to make that decision i know we're going to talk about this later but um, i already had ownership in a condo at the time and i was able to leverage that to help cushion myself in making this decision and um, a lot of savings and so that helped me more confidently go out into the unknown without any plan but I don't always recommend that for everyone (laughs) do as I say not as I do I think it's always the story
0: it's interesting that you talk about um your roommate at the time or like you know when they say you'll become a product of what you surround yourself with like Mm -hmm. that was obviously huge in your life then and rang so true when it came to like your roommate and coming to that realization of the change Mm -hmm. you needed to make Mm
1: -hmm. yeah I think Um, I was lucky to have, we actually met at a sort of like a business conference for young professionals and we knew we both were going to be moving to Chicago and I didn't know anyone else really who was living there. Maybe I had a couple friends from university, but it was really kismet that we both decided without really even knowing each other that well, like let's live together. And then we were able to, um, you know, really bounce ideas off each other and inspire each other to things that were wildly outside of our comfort zone so that was great I know.
0: it's cool like I was the same when I was in college like can you move in with all these random people and like like that it can go one or two ways but like you can be very <laughs> lucky then and the people you meet by just yeah. taking that chance and moving in yeah. with people you don't know and I actually I came across in your story as well that you mentioned like some mentors you would have had in your life again that comes back to like the people you surround yourself with and the information you choose to absorb and listen to mm-hmm. so like how how big have mentors been I know a lot of what I would refer refer to are like I find podcasts a great bridge and that's why I decided to set up this podcast for coming upon people and their stories and Mm -hmm. using them in creating your own journey but yeah how, how big have mentors been in your life and what have they done for you
1: yeah they they have been huge I actually I don't know why I just thought of this but when I was in college I was doing like one of those mock interview things with some professionals that had volunteered their time to come down and this man asked me, you know, who's your who's your mentor? Do you have a mentor? And I was like, Well, my sister, I really look up to her and she helps me. And he's like, Your sister cannot be your mentor. You need a real mentor. And so he set me up with this uh woman who is like, was like an executive at this insurance company. That's why. But he must have taken a liking to me and said, This girl needs a mentor and set me up with one. And so she was my first real mentor, which I think was really special, but I had someone who like saw something in me and said, you need to know someone who can give you, you know, real advice in the same track that you're in. And so throughout obviously my career, my my need for different types of mentor changed and shifted. And my roommate could be one of those mentors that helped inspire, inspire me, but she was also kind of like a sister. So I needed someone more and who was further along. And I found that um, just like you, podcasts were a really great help because i didn't necessarily think i had the funds to invest in someone like a coach um and i didn't i'm, I'm really shy and really introverted yeah, so actually it's funny like, you say that <laughs> i know most people are surprised um but going out and like asking someone to be my mentor felt really big and scary so i really started with just like listening to a lot of podcasts because i saw that as a kind of a a free and easier way to gain the knowledge that you need. And then slowly but surely, um, I started investing in coaches, which really helped me learn, you know, what do I need to be doing based on where I wanna go and making sure I was finding the right mentors and coaches in that way
0: yeah I think because with podcasts it's like you said it's free and that like you can try a bit of this and try a bit mm-hmm. of that and then you can kind of pick the podcasts that are suited to your stylist I find books a great way as well like I remember reading um was it Shoe Dog and reading that story on Nike and then reading Richard Branson's The Virgin Media and I thought both Mm -hmm. of them were very interesting like and kind of gave you an idea of everything that's involved because like as you know yourself it's obviously not easy setting up a business either and I suppose that would be kind of one interesting perspective as well is like what kind of problems have you come upon while setting up your business and especially in the beginning so unknown and unfamiliar to you.
1: Problems (laughs) I think. I felt like every day there was a problem. I was just about to say, like literally
0: just my whole life
1: yeah. <laughs> there for a while. I think when you're when you're first starting and, you know, there's a great quote. I don't know who coined it. It's kind of like a meme that goes around now if you follow anyone in business online. But they talk about how you have to just continue to show up, even though no one is listening no one is liking no one's watching because eventually people will start right people just start to find you so I feel like kind of the first establishment of my business at it as it is today was when I started my podcast in that would have been 20 at the beginning of 2016 because you
0: started early sorry I interrupted mm -hmm. you there but you started early like Kind of you were at, let's say, the start of the growth of podcasts. Like it was definitely yeah. during COVID that they absolutely took off.
1: Yeah, so that yeah, it, great for you. I'm I'm kind of ancient in that world, and actually, um, the year before, my roommate and I and another friend started a podcast um, that we worked on together. I was mostly behind the scenes, doing a lot of like copywriting and whatnot, and editing of the podcast and. After about a year, I was like, you know, this is kind of, (laughs) I want to start my own things. This can be a one person job. I'm going to exit this and start my own, which is another thing that gave me that confidence and that, you know, at least enough confidence that made me feel like, okay, I can do this too. Um, So starting my podcast was kind of the first thing for me that I, I did it more naively and without a huge plan. And I think on one hand that really helps because there's no expectation behind it. So then you're not so glued to like all the numbers and how many people are listening and who knows about my podcast and who's gonna eventually like buy something from me or when am I gonna get sponsorships and all of that. And um, that helped a lot in the beginning, but in terms of problems, like those are the types of things that I think come up earlier on is, less the technical problems are easy to solve but like how do I do this problem those are easy the hardest problems that anyone faces will face and especially the early stages in their business but even later on are like the internal doubt that pops in your mind and the questioning of should I keep doing this and is it even worth it and is anyone getting anything out of it and um, those are the the hardest and biggest hurdles that um you have to overcome as a business owner because like you're kind of your own worst enemy in that sense
0: it's very interesting you say that because that's where i believe like the bridge comes in my podcast between soulful and savvy because it's just like all the personal development and the growth like i don't believe you can do any of the savvy side of things without having that behind you and without Mm -hmm. like because confidence is huge like you said confidence and self-belief are massive and i Mm -hmm. think like definitely growing up i think everyone struggles with them like it's very normal um but it isn't until you find them and you find that within yourself then that you feel like you can do things like Leave your job and set up a business, or you can, you know, you can really do things that are authentic to you, and you can recognize what it is that's important mm-hmm. to you and your values and all that. Yeah, there's mm-hmm. a there's a lot to it.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think what happens to a lot of, especially my clients who I work with. You know, I work with all money coaches these days. I have still some personal and business finance clients who I help on the financial end, but now my business is mainly focused on helping those money coaches and. We're all so analytical and like typically the overthinking type. And when you you go from like naively setting up this business and, you know, there's those four quadrants of you don't know what you don't know. So you're really just kind of excited about it and naive about it and getting things started. And then when you start to go into that quadrant of you know what you don't know, then you start to really overthink and overanalyze. And that's where that doubt creeps in. And you need to build that confidence so that you can get to the point where uh, you don't know what, you know, and then you you what is it? You I don't know. You don't you know what, you know, and then you don't know what, you know, because it's so natural and you're just kind of able to show up without wondering, like, is anyone watching because Typically, that's when you also have the the validation from others who are saying, you know, thank you for producing this. Thank you for doing what you do. I've, you know, made a million dollars because of you. Um, and that's great. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting you say that, actually, because you would
0: mentioned it earlier as well, like about the focus on number everyone is very social media driven these days and like focused Mm -hmm. on the followers and who's listening and who's watching and all that first of all maybe actually if you wanted to explain your business a bit because I know I had mentioned it at the start but I think you could do a much better job than me (laughs) on what it is obviously you do and what you've set up and what you've created
1: yeah yeah so I'll explain it in the sense of how it's evolved because it started out I started my podcast as a personal finance podcast and mostly I started interviewing other personal finance experts um, only women because I really wanted to create a space on the internet for women um, because I you know this I mentioned this in um, my like very long story of how I was listening to podcasts by Lewis Howes and Tim Ferriss and a majority of the people they also interviewed were men, and those are more business. But I was like, there needs to be more women here. Totally, even today, hosting like 2021 there's so little or
0: 2022 now <laughs> there's yeah. so little women like out there in comparison totally like that's mm-hmm. what i find like that all my sources for information are very male dominated because that's yeah. what's emerged and that's what's out there and even the exposure yeah. like they they get so much more exposure in comparison mm-hmm. it is, this isn't like anything against them like obviously there's people i followed and they're amazing like right gary vee and stephen bartlett i'm obsessed with them um but like you said there's just and I don't know why that is, I'm not too sure. Yeah. Like I don't think there's any real reason behind it. But I think as well, like you said, the overthinking side of things, like women definitely have a tendency to self criticize more and yeah. that they make it like in a way harder for themselves and it's it's not easy because that's how our minds operate. But right. um I think I think slowly but surely definitely more women are emerging and becoming more dominant in the field
1: (laughs) yeah absolutely yeah that's that's spot on so yeah I I started my podcast in that way and then for many years I ran it as personal finance and I started then creating my own coaching business which took me a very long time to build because I had my own self-doubt of whether I could do it and whether it was sustainable um, and made a lot of mistakes along the way but then finally found my groove and was able to bring that to a place where I could make a full-time income doing that. And then throughout that process, a lot of, you know, I started attracting a lot of other financial coaches and, and women in finance, but also some men who were following along and seeing what I was doing and asking me a lot of questions. And I thought, you know, there's nothing really out there that helps people figure out how to become money coaches um, and how to do what I'm doing. I mean, there's certification programs, but they typically focus on the what, right? The like, you know, what is a budget and here's how you um, help clients th- put a budget it together and implement it into their life, but a lot less on the business side of things. Like, okay, how do you actually get clients and how do you actually market yourself online? And how do you actually like, can you even charge for this? And so that's where I really wanted to focus um, on helping my fellow money coaches. And that's where now my main business is really focused on that. But um, I still have some individual, you know, traditionally employed personal finance uh, clients as well as entrepreneurial clients where I help them with their the business side of things um, because I still just absolutely love helping mostly women there are some men but mostly women on their their finances as well but yeah Yeah. business.
0: it's actually very interesting you say that as well because let's say the, the degree I would have done would be business and then I would have majored in accounting and finance but like even in terms of the business side of things there's so little done on entrepreneurship which essentially you would think would be the course in which you would get the most out of, at least when it came to entrepreneurship. But like, like that, there's very little done on like selling yourself and cost and mm-hmm. like setting up a business model that's sustainable and that the cost is right and the marketing is right. And, you know, getting all the background noise sorted essentially and set up. Mm-hmm. And how, how would you find that, like what would you find is the best medium for growing your following and how would you have grown like a loyal customer base throughout your years in business? Especially mm-hmm. because it's such a niche market. Like like you, as you describe yourself, you're a money coach for money coaches. It's yeah. very niche. So I yeah. can imagine like it's hard at first to find a target market. But then once, once you find what it is that works for you, it obviously yeah. works wonders.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's interesting because... Um, I already had this kind of platform established that wasn't necessarily for money coaches, but money coaches were tuning in to learn what I was doing. And so I kind of knew they were out there. I mean, I had people asking me questions, but I also just looked at who was following along with me and I saw them in, in the, in the audience. And so I knew that that was going to be a good opportunity for me to shift into, but for anyone that is new and starting out. And what I tell my clients is like, we do a ton of market research. So we try to identify, you know, who would be a good person that, you know, not only we would enjoy working with and helping, but also who has a problem that we can solve and who desires to solve that problem. So they're interested in, and intrigued by what it is that you can offer. And then also, you know, from a financial standpoint, it has to make sense that they are willing to pay the price of what it is that you're you're offering, the, the solution you're gonna provide. Um, but once you have, you know, identified that niche of people, so to speak, I actually just tell my clients, go out and ask them, ask them where they hang out, like do the research to identify where they're spending time. So if you're going to market, um, first leveraging social media, I think is like the easiest way. It's like, go on the platform that they're on. Even if you think like, oh, I'm never going to be on TikTok, but your clients are on TikTok, like get out there and get on TikTok because that's the place where they're at. So you want to show up there. Um, so that's that's what, you know, I have my clients do and that's what I started to do too when I was shifting was knowing that uh, through my market research, a lot of the money coaches that were already following me, but that I also knew there could be more out there. Uh, Primarily, we're on Instagram. Um, And then because I had my podcast and I started shifting the content on my podcast, um, that's kind of the next level, I guess, um, like marketing tool that I use is more longer form content in the sense of a podcast. And um, people were searching for money coaching and how to be a money coach and and searching those questions online or like write directly in Spotify. And then they would find my show that way too. So that's kind of where I was able to get my clients. Yeah, Even because it's I, very specific.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's specific, but you know what? It works because you, you mentioned that you're a listener of the Tim Ferriss podcast. And I'm not sure if you've read his book. You, you probably have the 4-Hour Workweek. Um, I've read that as well. And he does speak about that as the requirement to be niche so that you can succeed. Like, because mm-hmm. you can be very broad. But then, like you said, there's so many people out there and they're looking for a specific. So if you can provide yeah. that, it actually, in fact, draws a lot of people to you.
1: Yeah. I mean, it feels so counterintuitive for someone who's new because you feel like I need to just take anyone who's willing to work with me like and it doesn't matter what you're selling. You're like, I just need someone to buy my thing. And uh, the funny thing is that the magic happens when you're able to say my thing is for, you know, healthcare providers because it's gonna relieve your stress from working in, you know, a thankless field, especially right now um, and being, you know, potentially exhausted or whatever that is. And then you can actually knowingly go and go to the places where healthcare providers would be hanging out online or maybe even in person or go to the conferences that they're going to. And then you also know what to type in on Instagram or on LinkedIn or, you know, wherever, those people might be hanging out, you know that like you can type in their job and most likely they're gonna have that in their title or their, um, their profile or whatever, their bio, and you can actually find them as opposed to like, if you just wanna help, I don't know, anyone with a business or anyone with a job, like that gets so overwhelming to the brain that if you can't find them, How are they supposed to be able to find you that's kind of the way i like to think of it so
0: it's so true as well because you're one person so yeah Yeah. (laughs) and one business yeah that's actually very it's a very interesting perspective and i suppose like you said when you can find the people that are interested in what you're actually doing in a niche to you like it makes your job so much better and enjoyable because you're surrounded by people who are willing to do the work and want to do the work and they're passionate about what they're doing with you Mm -hmm. um and i a lot of people do talk about that as well today I suppose is the authenticity behind a business and like that today is is the key for successful businesses is is to be authentic rather than just selling you the one product they want to keep you and hold on to you and build a community around Mm -hmm. what it is you've created which is quite cool like would there be any would there be any everyday practices that you use to like stay grounded or to like develop yourself more? Um, because the rate of change today, like everything's forever growing, and it can be it can become quite like overwhelming, I suppose, for people, and especially when you're in an area of unknown nearly always
1: because everything's changing in the business world and then you have to be willing to go with it? What do I do every day? I used to have like a very strict morning routine and I've actually kind of gotten out of that. Like I don't really read business books anymore and I actually have started like not following business people anymore like on Instagram which is my main place where I consume content and I've done that because I have noticed that like I need to create my own thoughts. So now, what I do, and I think there's a time and place for reading the books and following people, especially when you first just like are wondering how to do something. Um, so I, you know, identify where you're at if you're looking for advice from me, <laughs> but and 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 go off of that. But I've got to a place where I'm a little bit um, oversaturated with everyone else's ideas and opinions, and I'm like what about my my ideas and my opinions like I have spent a lot of time in this world now what can I create that is a little bit more original like I think trying to be the most original and come up with like the most unique idea is impossible these days because so many people have ideas like we're all kind of thinking the same thing but if you want to try to at least push those boundaries slightly what I've had to do is kind of detox from from a lot of that so my thing that I do every day now is just journal and like, try to come, you know, try generate to generate
0: your own thoughts.
1: Yeah, exactly. Like yeah. really understand, you know, what could I bring to the table that is at least I think is uniquely coming from my head, but I think, you know, now we're just surrounded with so much content we never know. Um, so yeah, generating my own thoughts and then weekly therapy. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's what I do to, to get, stay grounded and know that like, you know, and, and having, having friends, honestly, in the space, because, um, the desire to build a business is, although it seems like everyone's doing it, especially when you start, then all of a sudden you see everyone else doing it and you're like, oh my gosh, the world is saturated. Like everyone's doing this. It's still very isolating because, you know, maybe your friends aren't doing it or, um, Maybe, you know, you don't know anyone who's who's been through that. So finding people that can help you understand that, like they're in this with you, even though they might be doing their own thing, Um, having a therapist that you can be like, (laughs) Am I crazy? Is is this all good? Am I am I losing my mind here? I'm I'm doing this without any real validation right now. And then for me, it's it's uh, coming up with my own ideas through journaling, I guess, first and foremost.
0: Yeah, that's huge. I know like I I do love like meditation and I would do that quite often. And I I, like you, I find that a great way for like just allowing your thoughts to come naturally to you. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a great way to just sit and be with yourself because it's very true what you say, like unknowingly you become impressioned by other people. So whatever you're exposing yourself to online, like that's having an impression on you and forming your thoughts Mm -hmm. rather than them coming completely original from your mind. Mm
1: -hmm. Um,
0: So yeah, that's quite interesting. And I suppose in terms like you mentioned, all right, TikTok and stuff and like that's a very new trend that those businesses have had to get on board with. And even the mm-hmm. last day I saw um I don't know if you follow rugby, but the rugby was on and Ireland were playing France and like that TikTok was everywhere, like it was all over the grass on the ground, it was on the rugby ball, like you know what I mean, it's really starting to dominate and businesses whether they like it or not have had to get on board how do you remain like at the front of trends and how do you make the decision what ones to pursue because you could always be going after new things but at the same time you have to do what's efficient for your business and what's going to work best
1: yeah I mean I have a very different idea as as a small business owner because there's a there's a big difference between you know, a brand that has a huge team and they can be everywhere. And then if you're kind of a one man show or maybe you have um, a VA, but you still have to really focus on where you're going to get the best return on investment of your time. And so for me, (laughs) um, you know, a majority of my clients are still on Instagram and haven't made the switch because they are of the mindset of, I don't want to be on TikTok. Um, and you know, on my end, I'm like, but if your clients are on TikTok, you should go. But I know that a majority of my clients haven't made that switch yet. So I am of the mindset of like keep it as simple as possible for me. And also if a majority of my clientele are on one platform and haven't switched over to other ones or have given up some some other platforms, then just become a master in that one place for now, um, until I have, you know, a bigger team to be everywhere. So I'm much more about like being that big fish in one pond versus trying to be everywhere, which I think is, is, uh, contrary to a lot of business advice that other, you know, coaches might give or other business owners might give is like, oh, I'm trying to scoop up anyone from anywhere versus I, I really just focus on Instagram right now, even though like some of my clients could be on Facebook, some of them could be on TikTok, a majority of them are on Instagram. So that's where I focus and that's how I kind of make my decision, keep it as simple as possible.
0: Yeah, it's very true. And like that Instagram has been around a while. So the likelihood is if you're on Facebook or TikTok, you're still on Instagram. So that kind of enables you to target the majority. Earlier as well, you would have spoken about um, the finance side of things, because I think that's where I've really been. Um, focusing on the past few months and just becoming aware of like I'm I'm 23 going on 24 I'm so quite young in terms of like just coming out of college of course like money is never <laughs> there and mm-hmm. I suppose I would have always been at the mindset like life is for living and spend your money and you know what I mean enjoy it while you can whereas right. now I'm beginning to realize the importance of saving and like while it sounds boring and no one wants to do it it's very important (laughs) and I know it sounds so basic but as well beginning like you've so little money it's very hard to do so Mm -hmm. I know um in terms of you like how did you when you were setting up your business implement the financial skills and the finance side of things to ensure Mm -hmm. that you had the money there and available when needed
1: yeah I mean I think it it came about even before my business um and a lot of it i can attribute to being very lucky when i was in college i mean obviously i studied finance but like i felt like i knew nothing about personal finance i knew so much about corporate finance and like how to you know value individual companies to determine if they're a good investment but like who has the time for that in the real world nobody <laughs> if you have like an, a diff, another full time job if that's not your full time job so, you know, on on that end, I felt like I didn't know a lot, but what I did know was some really good lessons from, um, you know, some public speakers that came to our school and had very serious talks about like putting money away and how to get started with investing. Um, and I had a really good influence in that my oldest brother Uh, is a very frugal person and loves to also tell me, I'm the youngest of four and he's the oldest of four. And he knew that I was probably most susceptible of that, of this because my two middle siblings are like, like huge spenders um, (laughs) and have always been. But then my, for whatever reason, the oldest and the youngest, we've been like the most frugal. And so he loved to tell me all of his ideas. And he'd obviously been through all the things. So when I was, you know, 22, he was 29 turning 30. And he was like, you need to set this up, you need to put this in place. And so I had a lot of, you know, that good influence of just knowing, like, set money aside for a rainy day because anything could happen or, you know, get started investing early because the value of compound interest is just, you know, this magical wonder of the world that, I, maybe I didn't necessarily understand it, but I was like, I want to be in on this. Like, I don't yeah. want to be missing the boat. If if my older brother is investing, it must mean, and like all, you know, I think also as a young woman coming out of college, you're like, all the boys are talking about this. And for whatever reason, they understand it. And maybe I don't, but I'll figure it out, but I'm still going to get in on it for now. Um, which strangely sounds like cryptocurrency now in NFTs. <laughs>
0: yeah it's so true I know like depends where you're looking but like there's a lot of that going on at the minute and like I do think there is some truth to it because like I personally have invested in a bit of crypto and I do see like I know they speak about urethrum I'm not sure if you've looked into it much but I know they speak about urethrum and kind of the technology behind that which I think is Mm -hmm. quite interesting it's actually interesting you say that because I'm the oldest in my family, so I would have mm-hmm. found that I never had that guidance and that's why like, yeah. I really then wanted to go out and seek it. And I often wonder like, if COVID hadn't happened, where I'd be because I think it was during COVID when I had that time to look yeah. into things like that and that's where like my awakening came as opposed yeah. to like, if life had just continued, would I ever have realized until I got to the age of 29 and 30? And when the right. people around you then start recognizing, oh, I need to get a mortgage, I need to, get a pension like you know all the adults adulthood starts kicking in um yeah but it is great to get a start in it early if you can and i think that's where my focus is at the minute and like where i would like to convey information to people is financial habits to get into early because it'll make the cushion bigger for you and it'll make you a bit more secure when that point does come in your life when you do need to get a mortgage and you'll already be somewhat there and if you, can, if you can implement those habits early, I just think it makes it much easier as well because they become more natural as you yeah. do it over time, of course, like it becomes easier then to invest yeah. and to save. It just becomes second nature as opposed to like something you're forced to do. How do you find then that would have built in your business and like impacted you, I suppose, both personally and professionally?
1: I mean, habits are a huge thing. And this is what I what I share with my all of my clients but especially the ones that i coach on the finances is that you make a really good point about having time so it's the two things of like oftentimes we don't take the time to slow down and recognize that a lot of the reason you might be in the financial position you're at now like if you're listening and you're like i need to change things a lot of the reasons you're here isn't necessarily because you're bad with money or because you don't understand it or because you know, you're just, you're just a spender. It's like, it's the habits that you have. And if you slow down and take the time to understand, like, what are the, the decisions I'm making every day where I'm not slowing down and going, is this really something I need now? Or am I needifying it? Like, I don't actually need it, but I think I need it. And it's because, you know, we don't give ourselves time to really sit there and see like, oh, this is something I can have in you know next week or next month when i've set that money aside for this thing um and all of that is behavioral like so much of my clients money situations that they want to get out of is something that happened behaviorally rather than like oh you were just real you know you just didn't understand this or or um you know, you're, you're not making enough money or whatever that is. So habits are a huge thing and and understanding the behavior and then having that time to kind of slow down and go like COVID it's a terrible thing, but having that forced quarantine where like you can't eat out and maybe even for a week, you couldn't even order takeout. It's like pausing for just that amount of time allows you to get ahead and think, and then decide what you want to do with your money as opposed to always making those decisions and then just having to keep up financially.
0: It's so, so true, yeah, it's just conscious decisions. Like, And yeah. I found that has definitely been one of the biggest influences in my life would have been social media in a way when you're seeing like, I would have had all the apps, you know what I mean? For all the different
1: mm-hmm. clothes shops
0: and whatever else. And then unknowingly, you're actually clicking into the apps, having to flick through and putting things into your basket. and it's all done so unconsciously because you're so used Mm -hmm. to having done it for so long that it's only when you stop then and put that filter in and force yourself to think for a minute and take a pause Mm -hmm. that you can be no maybe not this week you know what I mean Mm -hmm. you've spoken about like the influence of your brother from when you were young so do you think your attitude would have changed a bit towards money maybe as you'd have gotten a bit older and you needed to be you had a bit more responsibilities and stuff, or has it very much stayed the same because of his influence that you've always been good with it and you've always had that mindset?
1: I mean, for the most part, it's stayed the same in the sense that I've just always wanted to make my decisions like think through something and then kind of save up for it as opposed to, I just never wanted to feel like I was playing catch up. And I I just had that kind of subconsciously, like (laughs) I was probably brainwashed by my parents and by my brother. Um, But again, that's what helped me kind of set up the habits properly before I started making money. But anyone who might not be there and you're, you know, if you're finding yourself in this hot water, it's really just finding a place where you can pause that might be the biggest money leak for you and saying, okay, can I just go without for a week or a month so that I can, you know, actually have money ahead of time as opposed to always trying to pay it off, you know, last minute. So I'm still of a very similar mindset, like whether it's with my business or in my personal life. And your original question was about like, how has this helped me business wise was really just, again, making those decisions of I'm going to have some savings before I go into business. And then when I go into business, every dollar I make, I know I need to owe taxes on it. So I'm gonna put a percentage aside for taxes and not touch it. But I think, you know, I attribute a large amount of that to being able to know what I'm gonna do ahead of time with my money and and kind of bucket it like that. And then also having the discipline not to actually touch that money. So you know, if you're setting money aside for taxes throughout the year, you're going to be sitting on a big chunk of money that you have to decide that is not my money. That is, you know, the country's money, the government's money, because it's the only sure thing in your business that if you make money, you're going to have to pay that. You might have to not have to pay all of it, but better safe than sorry. Um, So those are the things, you know, from a personal standpoint, I kind of made those decisions ahead of time. And I've always kind of stuck with that because I just think if you look at if you zoom out and you look at life on the personal end you have to a lot of us have to be responsible and at least in the states um, where I'm from like our pension plan isn't great we don't have like a really solid uh, for us it's social security where you're going to retire and you're going to make you know almost as much as you made in your full-time job like you're going to get a fraction of that. So you're really responsible for saving that. And I think I had that forethought to go, okay, just like in business, a percentage of this (laughs) isn't mine. I think on the personal end, I thought a percentage of this isn't mine right now because I have to take care of, you know, grandma Tess who wants to be living, I don't know where, but like on a beach somewhere drinking martinis. So I had to take care of my future self before I took care of my current self, current self yeah. yeah and that's it's actually very interesting what you say about
0: taxes as well because I know not enough people think about that and like it's obviously so important when beginning a business that you forget like you're doing your own return at the end of the year so like it's up to you to ensure that that money is there as opposed mm-hmm. to like definitely as an employee it's a great benefit and that your taxes are looked after for you so you don't have to worry mm-hmm. about that like you get the you get the net income at the end and after that then you've nothing to worry about whereas when you're self-employed and I suppose enough people don't consider that because a lot of people don't have the knowledge in taxes you have to be able to pay that bill when it comes at the end of the year
1: (laughs) yeah I think you know again going back to like making these decisions about what you're going to do before you do it and like having that time to think about it and then building the habit to actually do it you know with taxes also I just developed this fear of ever owing money to the IRS and the uh in the US's case um so i was like there's no way i'm going to be in that situation so i'm going to set money aside and in the sense on the personal side you know it's a mixture of both like there's no way i'm going to leave myself high and dry when i turn 65 but also if you look on the side of like debt you know debt is a huge problem at least in the US and i know um In several other countries here in switzerland and where my husband's from in italy they're like wait you can just like put things on a credit card and never pay it off like we wouldn't have credit cards in that like you're not allowed to have a credit card if you do that here so they don't quite understand it i'm not so sure about ireland and how it works for you no it's very Um, similar
0: to italy in that like people just wouldn't have credit cards yeah unless that's just me but I'm pretty sure it's most people like a lot of my friends and stuff yeah and if if they do like the limits are quite low you wouldn't just be granted excessive amounts of money like (laughs) right
1: right yeah and and in the U.S. it's a vastly different world and so again I kind of made the decision from the early age that like debt scares the shit out of me I'm sorry if I can't curse Um, (laughs) and I don't want to like it's just not an option and and I do recognize that I come from a very privileged background of being able to make that decision. Um, I didn't graduate from college with debt, uh, which is already just like such a privileged place to be in, especially in this day and age. Um, And then also having the cash flow because, uh, in large part, because of the major that I chose, that also really helped me avoid going into something like credit card debt. Um, and I didn't need a car, so I didn't have a car loan. So, you know, on some ends, you can attribute that to the decisions that I made and really thinking through that. Um, but on the other the other end, like, it's also just a privilege point where I was able to start a little bit of ahead. Um, but a lot of my clients, you know, get into this position where they no longer have their student loan debt, but they're still leveraging that credit card just because they've made the decision to live above their means and beyond their yeah. means, as opposed to deciding like, okay, I make this much money. I'm going to choose that, you know, this portion goes to future me. And then I would live off of the rest as opposed to going, let's see how much, you know, let's spend what I have. And then maybe the leftovers I'll set aside for future me. But typically in the case in the States, like you can spend beyond what you make. So then you're really even further into that hole.
0: Yeah, it's crazy. And it's like you said, once you make that decision to live beyond your means, it's very hard to rein it back mm-hmm. and be strict in yourself. And yeah, spoke as well there about taxes and it's very important as well in terms of investments. I'm not too sure if you've many investments or not, but in terms of paying the taxes on those, like, because again, you're responsible for ensuring they're paid once mm-hmm. that gain is realized. So, how have you found that area of things? I know, like I'm presuming that you have somewhat of an investment, having the knowledge and the background that you do to set you up for your future.
1: Yeah, taxes for investments—that's a fun game to play. (laughs) Um, So, I mean, in terms of investments, my my kind of strategy and how I go about it is really like I invest for the long term and I try to invest passively. So. I try not to sell as much as possible, especially um, at least as an American, uh, we have kind of tax sheltered accounts where if you do sell uh, some of your holdings and you realize a capital gain, you don't actually pay tax on that. Um, You can kind of buy and sell as much as possible because it's in a tax sheltered account because it's meant for retirement. Okay. So when you retire, certain things happen. But like, that's where, you know, A considerable portion of my wealth sits because I'm mainly saving for that future version of me. Um, But because now I'm an American who lives in Switzerland. Uh, and Switzerland doesn't necessarily recognize those accounts, it's a little bit harder. So now I do save okay. in more taxable accounts. Um, so taxable are the ones that, you know, if you sell and you've, you've made money, but you're like looking to rebalance or whatever, um, that's where I would pay that gain. So honestly, you know, if for me, I try to not sell as much as possible instead just invest more to get to a rebalanced spot um i'm very much a buy and hold type of person and because i invest passively across many many different uh many different companies through index funds
0: hi guys apologies for a quick insert clip um i promise i'll get better at this podcast stuff and we'll start explaining things as i go but just explain ind- index funds for those who don't know, so index funds are essentially compiles, are representative of several companies as opposed to just the one. So by investing in index funds as opposed to a stock, you're essentially reducing your risk within your investment as you're investing in several companies and not just the one. So for example, if one company underperforms, your share in an index fund will suffer less as it also is composed of several other companies, which may be doing well at the time. But alternatively, if you had only one share in one specific company, then should that company underperform, you're likely to suffer a larger loss.
1: That's what allows me to do that without having to kind of, um, you know, really identify like which individual companies are overvalued and selling out of that and whatnot. Um, And so So through that- sorry um, sorry, no you're good you're
0: good (laughs) so index funds will be your main focus like when it comes to investing yeah
1: yes yes so that's that's kind of what helps me there and and therefore you know still i might have some capital gains tax to pay um but i try to keep it as minimal as possible and there's other strategies at least in the us that you can do to offset those gains Um, they call it tax loss harvesting but honestly I when you I think when you get to the point where you might be paying a significant amount of tax on on capital gains cuz you're selling after yeah. you've you've gained money your 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 stock has gained in value <laughs> I mean it I think it's really really valuable to invest in having a tax advisor kind of help yeah, you of course, understand yeah. what to do there Um, Especially, like you said, for
0: people like you, where you will be living in Switzerland, but then you will be deemed, obviously, American domiciled at least. Just to explain real quickly your place of domicile, it's essentially the place you regard as your permanent home or the place that you consider yourself to be from. Um, It's not very clear cut in its definition and there's a few interrelating factors to consider when it is determined what your place of domicile is but it is essentially a tax term used to determine how you will be taxed in a specific country I'm not sure how long you've been in Switzerland but um yeah it kind of makes it a bit more difficult and then because you're married as well there's a lot going on oh my gosh
1: it's so complicated (laughs) I I tried to solve it for myself and I was like no we're hiring someone like I used to be able to kind of manage my own because of the expertise that I've cultivated, but being a a resident in Switzerland, but as an American, I have to pay tax no matter where I live. I or I don't have to pay taxes, but I have to file my taxes in the US. Yeah. Um, typically, I don't owe anything, but uh, it's just very complicated. And I was like, I, I can't do this. I need someone else to help me. So I, I think the, the point of that is when you get to a certain point where you feel you might be in over your head with knowing what to do, have someone else help you. Like, it's always yeah. the one thing I learned from my father, who's a very, um, you know, successful small business owner is that he doesn't pretend to know what he's doing. He just said, no. like, I will ask him questions and he'll be like, I don't know. I pay someone to do that for me. And, you know, he, 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 wants to understand it and he understands to the extent but like once it be once you find yourself spending hours trying to solve the problem yourself and you're hitting a wall like it's so much more valuable to invest in someone to help you totally and like you said
0: if you've a lot going on like if there's a lot of facets within your life whether it's your business whether it's your investments whether it's your real estate like you can't be expected to know everything on all those areas and and Mm -hmm. know the ins and outs I mean I studied tax for a year and like that is was when I realized how much there is to it. I was like, right. oh, my God, this this is insane. Like you said you do need to be willing to leverage the information of other people and recognize that you don't know at all. Yeah. I've kept so much of your time, so I might just move quickly on to like the real estate side of things uh-huh. and then we can finish it up if you, if you have the time. Like I, don't I want do. To
1: be We're brilliant.
0: good. Things <laughs> we love to hear. <laughs> <laughs> in terms of real estate, then, like you, you've mentioned that you have a place in America still. Even though you're living in Switzerland. So how would you have came upon that property? How would you have picked that as your area to choose? Like what would have been your criteria when it came to picking a real estate?
1: Honestly, I was I was of the mindset of I'm paying rent. So my property is in Chicago and I was paying rent in Chicago and thinking, Oh, I could just buy something and be so much cheaper. And that's one way to think of it i think for anyone who has that mindset you also have to recognize that when you're renting a place you typically don't have to pay for all the maintenance and repairs and sometimes those can be a headache so um you know you're just gonna have to decide your risk tolerance if you do want to buy a property but for me i was of that mindset at the time i was working in a steady safe job i didn't really think i was gonna change until you know, I had a very <laughs> sudden like uh, quarter life crisis, I guess. Um, but at the time, it, it just sounded like a, a good option for me. Um, and what's funny is I was planning on, you know, my roommate and I, the the roommate that I've been talking about, We had discussed potentially purchasing a property together, um, maybe even a property not in Chicago that we could purchase and rent out. Um, That would have been a terrible decision, like (laughs) co-owning a property with someone, especially someone that, you know, it's not like, I I think even co-owning a property with like a partner could be difficult, um, but it would have been a terrible decision for me because of very many reasons so that changed quickly and I decided I want to buy something myself and then you can pay me rent and it won't be astronomical because like I knew the math would add up but that was that was the decision that went into it was we're living in Chicago I think um, I could take that risk in buying something um, and then I can, in a sense, live for free, if not almost free. And my roommate can live um, without paying the large amount of rent that we were paying previously. So that was the initial decision. And then, honestly, hired an agent to help me look. And I had kind of my criteria. But also, I was 23, 24 years old, 23 years old. And I had no idea what I was doing. And I don't know why, but my parents didn't give me any advice. Like they're very sound people, but they did not like, be like, Hey, maybe you want to think about this. They were just like, yep, live and learn, go for it. Whatever do, do you sometimes that's the best way though isn't
0: it I know though when you're buying a house or buying an apartment or whatever it's a bit more overwhelming because obviously it's a big commitment so you'd like to have a bit of advice and information behind you but like you said you did the right thing and got an agent because it is like there's a lot to consider there too it's not just a matter of I know at the minute like they talk about a lot of houses being overpriced and you know what I mean you're paying a lot more than what you might get should things go wrong so you took the initiative to do that and just go out there and get your apartment because I think if like you can do that early it's huge in terms of your later life like you have a constant income now coming in of like rental income from someone else who's living in your apartment but you're you're living in Switzerland.
1: (laughs) Yeah 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 that's it was weird because I didn't really plan to buy the apartment from the idea of like, this is going to be an investment rental property. I mean, I knew that I was going to be able to rent out, it was two bedrooms. I was going to be able to rent out the other bedroom and and live for a lot less. But um I guess I wasn't thinking that I would move abroad and completely rent it out and, and be able to make an income and kind of like turn it into its own business. But that's how it worked. And I think it worked really well. And it's a really good Option for someone who wants to get into um, some sort of real estate investing and collect rental income is like, if you can start with where you're at and see, okay, is there something um, like a duplex that I could buy and me and a roommate could live on one side and, you know, someone else. Two other people could rent the other side and then I can at least live for free or um, is there an option where, you know, I can live with a roommate, but the roommate pays rent and then that almost covers my my rental payment or if it would be a rental payment, my mortgage at least. Things like that are a really good way to kind of baby step your way into it because having just renters and kind of managing that can be a little bit overwhelming when you're, you feel like you don't have as much control because you're not in the property every day.
0: Yeah, of course. I was about to say, like, how does that even work when you're in Switzerland and then you have a property in Chicago? Like, do you find that difficult? I mean, even <laughs> the time zones alone for trying yeah. to manage yeah. people. and
1: Yeah. So I do have a... Um a management company who helps me because my property is, I mean, I probably would even if I was doing longer term rentals, but my property is a short term rental. So it's rented through Airbnb. And so my management company does everything for me, which is really wonderful. And then they obviously get a percentage of that income through Airbnb. And I would say, you know, they make a lot of the lower level decisions. Like it's basically like, okay, if this thing costs a hundred dollars or less, or, um, $300 or less like just fix it on your own like take care of it and then I have to pay but it's <laughs> it's so much easier than like I can tell you I've had a couple of situations where the water has leaked or the fridge goes out or the yeah. uh, dryer stops working and those are the most stressful and I probably wouldn't recommend buying a property in a country that you don't live in because of the time difference, because I can't tell you how many times even in the last year I've like gotten an email at 11 PM from a annoyed neighbor who is, who has water dripping into their unit and maybe I don't see it and I wake up the next morning and then it just like totally (laughs) ruins my day because I have no control. Um, but, I mean, that doesn't happen so often it's really regulating your emotions between like, that's it. I'm done selling this place. I'm never doing this again to like, you know, every other day where it's totally fine and nothing bad is happening and realizing like, okay, this makes it worth it. So yeah, it's deciding if you can handle those kinds of up and ups and downs.
0: Yeah. And, you know, when you mentioned there like that you do short term rentals, I suppose an interesting question would be like, why did you choose Airbnb as opposed to like long term, especially because Chicago, like there's obviously universities and stuff in Chicago, so it would be handy even from a student perspective, like you'd have mm-hmm. had a lot, you'd have had a lot of potential there for like residents, or whatever. So mm-hmm. why would you have chosen between one or the one or the other?
1: I've done, um well, mostly I've thought about doing longer term rentals, but my apartment is fully furnished because I moved to Italy with two suitcases. And originally that's where I moved first to be with my then boyfriend at the time. Um, And I left my apartment fully furnished. So I was like, okay, whoever wants to stay here can stay here. And at first I didn't do Airbnb. I did uh, Craigslist short term, <laughs> like temporary, uh, subletting. And that actually works really well because I didn't necessarily want to rent out my bedroom. So I just rented out the one bedroom and just said, like, just don't go in that room. Um, cause I was still going back and forth for a while. And so I would do like three month rentals and there's a lot of people coming to Chicago for, I've had a lot of traveling nurses stay. I've had a lot of residents because we have, I live fairly close to a a medical um, or like a hospital where a lot of uh, medical students will go to do their residency for a year. Um, So a lot of people are like internships or just work, like work visits or whatever, people will come and stay for you know three to six months. So that worked really well um, at first, but the reason why I switched to Airbnb was because I opened up the full place and I wanted this company to manage those rentals and they're primarily a short-term rental management company. So they know Airbnb, they can do that. And I had actually done Airbnb um, before. So one of the reasons that Quitting my job was less of a huge thing was I did have some savings that I had saved up over the two years that I had been working full time. Um, But then I also was able to significantly reduce my living expenses by buying this condo, living in it, having my roommate pay. And then because my roommate traveled for work, we would Airbnb her room when she wasn't there. So oh, that's we were brilliant. Really so she would literally be paying you time. rent
0: and then Airbnb would be coming in. Oh my God. It's yeah. genius. <laughs>
1: so I knew Airbnb. I actually really enjoyed it because I was able to connect with a lot of people because I was just renting out this spare bedroom while I was still there. Um, which is still something that Airbnb does, but like I don't think I, I've done it a couple times, but I don't think I would ever do it anymore. Um but it's a you know people were always like you're a single 20 I don't know 24 25 year old at the time like what are you thinking and I'm like a majority <laughs> of people are really good people like I don't know I know it's you hear true. the horror stories yeah. but you have to realize that like those are one in a million um and I really enjoyed doing that so I we know I side hustling <laughs> <laughs> and
0: you're obviously living in Switzerland now like do you hope to stay there yeah. like do you enjoy Europe or do you think
1: you go back to America at some point or yeah, I, I love Europe. Um, I always thought I would live here for three months or three years maybe. Um, no, I think originally I was like three months, I'd love to live in Europe. And then I met my husband and now I think I'm stuck here for forever, which isn't so bad.
0: Yeah, definitely um, not a bad
1: complaint. <laughs> exactly. So we are in Switzerland now because of his job. We do have a dream of retiring early. Uh, maybe in the next five to ten years just depending on you know (laughs) how life plays out Um, that's a big dream of ours so that's kind of our joint we have a very joint investment goal Um, and you know we want to retire in southern Italy where the cost of living is very low yeah that's where he's from so it, it just makes you know it'd be kind of like moving maybe not as obviously not as drastic and maybe not as cheap but like It'd be like moving to Bali, but we actually m- get to move to a place where the cost of living is very low, but we also have family. and Yeah, know, it's a bit more
0: accessible to yeah, where it's you, not so... you need to be in terms. I like to end the podcast on like a positive note and just something good for people to take away with them. Mm-hmm. So I'll ask you one last question and then we'll let you get back to your very busy life, I'm sure. <laughs> um, so what is the quote in life? Choose to live by
1: the quote in oh the quote in life I choose to live by I think the one that I've followed ever since I was a really really terrible diver when I was like 15 years old I was on the diving team without any like diving experience I don't even think I could swim (laughs) that well um is feel the fear and do it anyway yeah yeah so far away that's
0: That's amazing. Well, thank you so much for all your time and being so open and honest. I've literally learned so much from you already. And God, you have so much to say, you have so much insight and knowledge in all the different areas, which
1: is brilliant. Yeah, well, you know, I love talking about money and I'm an open book when it comes to business. So thank you so much for having me.